Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Glad you are joining us this weekend as we talk about financial matters, both myself and my co-hosts here. We are both financial advisors, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant. We spend our weekdays helping people like yourself. We broadcast on the weekends being your financial advisor on the air. And um, it's good being here. And obviously, it's been a um, busy news week. Uh, oh, just a little. Just yeah, a little. we're going to stick to the financial stuff, though. As, uh, <laughs> just <'cause there's> a... <laughs> yeah, I think everyone is probably a little inundated with the... Um... Afghanistan. I, I, you know, I was like, listen, like, so we live in Northern California where we got a fire, so it's everything's all smoky outside. I get people reaching out, hey, are you, is your home in danger? Like, it's a pretty big state, right? So, but there's that. There's this Afghanistan. I mean, it's just like, oh, and then the Gavin Newsom governor recall in the state of California. It's nonstop. Um, that's a busy uh, news cycle, and yeah. it is in Northern California. It, it we are in the Sacramento Valley. It is disgusting, smoky. <laughs> yeah, I went for a uh, bike ride oh. early Wednesday morning. It was beautiful. Um, I rode twenty miles out and then turned around to come back. And the next thing you know, it got smoke blowing. Yeah, yeah, change of wind. Yeah, and it was. Uh, it's not healthy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're here to talk about financial matters, and we're here I to think take your calls and take calls. Of course. Uh, and to be part of the program, we'd love to take your calls. I, the reason we are still practicing financial advisors is because we enjoy, um, I don't know, maybe it's kind of the challenge of helping people figure out. There's the financial aspect, and then there's understanding oneself, the behavioral aspect, and putting those two together, which is what, what financial planning mostly is. Yes. Um, so if you want to be part of the program, we'd love to take your call, 833 833- 99 worth is the number. That's 833-99 worth. Uh, numerically, it's 833-999-6784. And we just uh, this announced a lot of part of the week that federal government's not going to extend the $300, the supplemental unemployment. Good. So it'll be interesting to see if things... I, I, I go to... A, usually, if I go to a restaurant or something, I will thank the people for working, particularly like... A hostess and some of those like thank you for working oh and as one guy said yeah he says a lot of my friends have just been milk working the system milking it oh i have uh, a 20 something year old 20 year old and all his friends and they are uh they would otherwise be gamefully employed but they lost their jobs during covid many of them working on campuses and restaurants still not were closed down no they're having a blast <laughs> I t- this is an interesting time right and then Beginning, they just increased food stamps this week as well. Was it this week? Yeah, yeah 27%. Not, not, yeah, no, that, that wasn't a lot. Pat was the chair of the Sacramento Food Bank for a number of years. so he's. But when you st- add that and the, uh, the amount the government, the IRS now sends to people on a monthly basis for having children. Yeah, some 60% of people last year actually did not pay any federal income tax, which was the highest number ever. But that is... If you paid income tax and then you got the money back, the net of it, and that was obviously will hopefully return back to a norm, normalized 40, 40% of the people won't pay. And any when will that happen? Federal taxes, hopefully sometimes. Because <laughs> that's what the com- that's the current conversation is. Let's have everyone pay their fair share. Is that is that? No, no, no. It's not. Well, I don't know what fair share means. Nobody does. It's thrown around a lot in here. Yeah, fair share is a pretty broad topic. Fair share. Yeah, it's like my kids. What did you tell your kids when they were growing up when they say it's not fair? What would you say to them? Life's not fair. Get Life's over it. Life's not yeah. fair. <laughs> of course, I still tell my kids that. Life's not fair. Too bad. Yeah, it's like move on, you know? So here it goes. So It'll be interesting. Uh, it will most certainly be interesting. But I, I got to tell you, Scott, the, the markets finally, finally the feds come out and say they're going to slow down asset purchases. We talked about that a few weeks ago. They said it, and we saw a little. I don't know why they're waiting till they, they said they're gonna sometime middle of next year. 
Which is because until we see, it feels like you're trying to get a fire going. You know, when your fire starts dying out in your fireplace or your campsite or whatever, you're trying to get Mm -hmm. it going again. You blow on it or put a little fuel on it to try to get it going. It feels like that's what they started to do, and now it's it's roaring. It's blazing, and they keep pouring the fuel on. Yes, yes. It's you. You worry how inflationary this is. and how much actually risk taking it is driven into the marketplace because of these low interest rates, right? When you've got the the government buying bonds, corporate bonds, nonetheless, right? And even at one point in time, high yield corporate bonds, junk bonds, <laughs> that that part of the reasoning behind that is to keep interest rates low, which actually causes the behavior of the other investors to reach to more risk to get higher yield, and. It, Which many of you, by the way, might have done that because you're like, I can't watch my money earn nothing, so I'm going to put it somewhere, and you reach out to to higher yield, and oftentimes not recognizing or more speculative the, investments or non liquid investments, not ac- actually understanding the risk that is associated with. Look that. what's happened with the housing market. That's part COVID, but part oh, just low interest rates. Yeah, low interest rates, and it's feeding upon itself. Yes, yes. Seems to start to slow a little bit, just a little, starting to kind of moderate. We can't continue at the pace, obviously. Well, yes. It's an interesting time. It is an interesting time. Anyway, let's uh, take some calls. 833-99-WORTH. We're talking with Bill. Bill, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Hi, this is Bill. Hi, Bill. How are you today? Uh, really good, actually. <laughs> I am really good today. <laughs> what can great. we do for you? Um, so I've got uh, several rental properties, and I currently have mortgages on. I have four rental properties, and I currently have hold mortgages on three of them, including my current dwelling, my primary home. And uh, the challenge, I, well, the question I have for you is: it, Is it better to? I usually max out my ten thousand dollars per year on my tax my taxes on what I'm allowed to uh, to claim um, just through the mortgages and through the interest and that type of on stuff. On your personal I'm residence, just curious. Yeah. I'm just curious, um, with those rentals, um, am I better off paying those off and not getting a $10,000 credit, or am I better off just continuing like I'm doing? I don't know very much on many of the mortgages. Um, most of them are less than 60000 and the challenge that I run into is if I try to refinance them most of the most yeah, the of them don't want to refinance yeah. uh, well, that, that small amount well so let's let's look at the overall situation so you owe on these three rentals combined what do you owe on them um probably around let's see i would say probably around 180 to 200,000 okay and total. what do you owe on your primary uh 59,000 and what's the interest all rate all of them are right around 60,000 <laughs> and what's the interest rate are they in the twos? Uh, and my, threes? Cur- my primary residence is like uh, three seven five, and then the rentals because they're uh, you know because they're uh, rental properties usually around four and four and a quarter. Okay, and what's the value of your? And primary? they're all fixed rates. Yeah, they're all thirty year fixed. Yeah. And what's the value of your primary? Um, about five, right around four seventy five, probably. Okay. okay, and if you were going to pay these off, what would what where, where would the money come from to pay them off? Um. I've got uh, probably, well, I have stocks about 1.1 million in stocks um, from my comp- from my primary company I work with. Um, then I have a 401 401k, well, my 401k is for retirement, but and then I have savings. How much so you have in pay savings? Them off through, um, probably right close to 500,000. In in this the bank low interest savings. Um, yeah, it's the money market, Discover Bank. And, and where did, what was the source of the $500,000? Honestly, just saving over time. I'm it, 54 and a half. It, um, I've just continued to pay myself and pay myself first and save as much as I can. And my wife has a philosophy that if you goes into savings, you don't touch it. And what so is, which is, <laughs> which is both a good and bad philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> right. What is it? Do you yes. have? Yeah. Right. I was. And a side note. I was talking. My son called me last night, 
debating if he should buy a new paraglider. He's into paragliding. He's an instructor now. He asked sure. if it was a good investment. So, well, first of all, it's not an investment. We talked through that. And he'd saved up, right. I don't know, he's 23, saved up like 10 grand. And this would cost him like six grand to get one of these. And so we're, we're talking through it. And I said, I said to him, I said, I have no worries about you financially because I remember when he was a kid taking him to Toys R Us, he had a gift card. We were spent a flipping hour in the store and he couldn't, he didn't find anything. He didn't want to part with his gift card. He liked the, the, the <laughs> so that's by his nature. Right. And we had this conversation yeah. with like, there's certain people that are just wired to save. And on some aspects, it's a good thing. The other side is that maybe people never enjoy the money. They get to older time in life. They've got millions of dollars live super conservative lifestyle and then they don't even know really what to do with the money which is which is uh, which is happens that's why it's both good and bad it's a better problem than the so you've got this five hundred thousand dollars sitting in low yield savings accounts earning less than one percent do you have any goals with that is there is it earmarked for anything uh just uh earmarked for retirement i mean okay just savings and retirement i mean it primarily was earmarked to buy into the rental if the market ever came back down. But I'm in Colorado and in the Denver area, and the real estate market's just been going crazy. It's, so it's, it's not a good time to buy real it's buy crazy. rentals. I would take the money. I would do one of two things. If I thought the real estate market and I wanted to own more real estate, I'd probably keep that in cash. But in saying that, if if I kept it in cash, I would refinance my primary mortgage on the house. I would take enough money out to pay off all of the rentals. Yeah, but then he's going to lose some of the deductibility of the interest because he's going to be maxed out on his uh, but the, the salt thing. Understand, but it's two percent, and so even if you actually That's measure, a low rate. All right, I'm e- with you. Even if you measure that uh, against that, you're still actually better off paying that. Quite frankly, I would. It, it's not going to make much a difference in. Over the next decade, it's not going to make much difference whether you pay this thing off or not. But the reality is you're going backwards each year, each month. I mean, the, the loans are costing you about nine grand a year to have those. And your your savings is earning next to nothing. Zero. So sure. it's it's you're paying nine grand for the privilege of having these mortgages. I would, if it were me, I would take the money out of savings and just write a check and pay all of them off and not worry about it. And then if at some point in time where there's a downturn and you want to, now you're curious, you can always go out and get it, take out some loans on the properties at that time. Yeah. Or you've got, you're only using 200 of the 500. My guess is that that will build up pretty quickly since you won't be making mortgage payments anymore. Yeah. More cash flow that you can choose to spend if you want to do. Right. So I would, uh, if, if I were you tomorrow, I'd take my checkbook out, figure out what the (laughs) remaining balances were uh, uh, truly and pay them off. And pay them off because sure. you're borrowing at three or three plus, and you're lending at less than a half a percent. Okay. One last one last thought. My wife, you know, she she believes okay. So like, we've already paid down fifteen years on most of these properties, right? So now we're on the where most of us going to the principal mm-hmm. instead of going to the bank, right? And so her thought is like, well. We have that in savings. I understand what you guys are saying, and that's kind of what I want to do, but convincing her otherwise well, is. <laughs> so it's a simple interest mortgage. It's a simple interest mortgage. So you described an amortization table, which is 100% correct. But the reality is it's simple interest. You pay the interest on the outstanding balance. Period. That's, period. That's the interest is on the outstanding yeah. balance. Right. So. It's, it's nine grand this year, so seven fifty a month. So when they amortize a loan, they actually set it up on a payment where it naturally is more is going to go towards the interest and the principal. And as the principal slowly draws down, more the payment's going to stay the same, which means more is going to go uh, to the to the principal. But it doesn't matter. It is a simple interest loan, which means ask your wife, tell your wife. Here's how I would explain to my wife: Say, listen, I got this great deal. Here's what we're going to do. I have found someone that I'm going to lend $200,000 to, and they're going to pay us a half a percent interest. I'm going to lend them that money. And then they're going to, and then we're going to borrow it back from them and pay them three and a half percent interest. Same amount. Right? Because that's what you're doing. You're lending at a half and you're borrowing at three and a half. No, that makes sense. It's as simple as that. And she's, if she says, 
well, this is, and you say, okay, we can continue to do this, but we owe $200,000. That's $6,000 a year. If we owe $300,000, that's $9,000 a year that we're paying for the privilege of keeping the money in the bank. We've well, got two hundred grand at four and a quarter and sixty oh, grand at three. And, that's I, four I and just, a quarter. You're right. Sorry. You, you, for the privilege of doing that, Scott, was correct. You're, it's actually a little more than that. I just did the numbers in my head, but we, we didn't know the exact amount. But if you're, if, that's, I mean, that's reality what it's costing you because you're earning next to nothing yeah, on the money. It's costing you eight to $9,000 a year to have the privilege. Of, so if we want to look at five years out, what's going to yield you the highest net worth? It would be pay, one of two things. Either paying this off or increasing risk in your overall strategy by removing some money from the bank and investing in, in something that may or may not be worth more in the future. But this actually just increases your net worth, and it's simple and easy. I would do it in a second, in a minute. In fact, I've done it. You wouldn't do it if your wife was adamantly opposed to it. No, I would. No, because you you told said before on this program that you have a health savings account that – even though you know it's in your best interest to let it accumulate, your your wife likes to use it to pay the medical bills. Like, yeah, well, this is okay. like three hundred grand. <laughs> it's like, what would I argue? All right, there's a bigger number here, right? It's like when I we like, okay, right? What do you argue about? Like, she insists that we squeegee the inside of the shower door every time we use it. I don't squeegee. Well, look, I do. I argued, and I won that one. <laughs> See? No squeegee for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> you squeegee, you right? She likes to unplug the toaster for whatever reason, because I guess when she grew up, toasters burned down homes. I unplugged the toaster. <laughs> <laughs> right? Look, we're married, too. Right? We'll so you choose your battles. <laughs> I've been married for 35 years. You're going to choose your battles. But for $9,000, I'd fight pretty hard. Yeah. That's what okay. I, I find. Right, and Bill. if you want, she can call she can call the show herself and we'll walk her through it and then you can make it our fault. <laughs> okay. Sounds right. great. Well, hey, thank you, thanks. gentlemen. I appreciate a lot. I appreciate thank it. You, it's Bill. always best to blame a third party. That's what I do. Yeah, blame somebody. <laughs> well, how many times have you sat as a financial advisor with a couple and they have two different opinions and they say, Well, what do you think? Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm like, Well, I'll tell you. We'll talk about, but I'm not going to necessarily side with one or to the point that I have sat in rooms where people were getting divorced and they said, our attorneys told us that we should split up the property between us. Will you do it for me? And I sit in the room and actually cut it down and show them how it's done. That's when you, they just, you can't get over the squeegee thing and leads to divorce. And then you're with the financial advisor talking (laughs) about that. That's why squeegee. That's why he's squeegees to avoid that. Keep my net worth high. <laughs> well, that reminds me of years ago, Pat was Pat was uh, wanting to leave and go, move to um, Nevada where there's no state income taxes. And you laughed at me. I did, because your wife was, her family is in the region of California, and it's like, you well, you can go you can go to Nevada and you'll save 13.3%, or you can... <laughs> I mean, you can stay here, pay 13.3, or you move to Nevada and you lose 50%. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> Someone asked me yesterday if I was considering moving out of state because of high taxes. And I said, I don't think so. Yeah. That's, um, anyway. Well, life is a series of compromises. Yeah. And if you can afford to pay the taxes and still live here, then yes. Anyway. All right. Let's uh, talk with Terry. Terry, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Yes. Uh, hi. How are you tonight? today. Excellent. Good. I've got two questions, um, somewhat unrelated, one probably very simple to answer. Um, first one is, uh, my son makes $75,000 a year. And what I, uh, we've got a disagreement about how much he's allowed to contribute to a Roth. He contributes 70% of his 75000 into his company's 401k Roth in order to maximize the match. And this amounts to uh, 5250 a year. Mm-hmm. In addition, addition to that, he takes automatic withdrawals from his checking account, from which he gets a paycheck every two weeks, and puts $230 into his Schwab Roth IRA. Every two weeks. And therefore, every two weeks. Okay. So therefore, annually, mm-hmm. he's putting into his Roth annual, annual Roth account 11230 albeit one is the company 401k yep, yep, Roth plan, yep. the, the other is personal. And I told him, 
you know, are, I don't know that both of those contributions are allowable since they the are. total exceeds what one. Say they are. Yes. They are. It, they're in two different camps based upon his income. You first of all, you should be okay. proud of him. How old is he? He's uh, twenty-four. Look at him. <laughs> Look at him. How proud are you? Yeah. No, I, I'm happy that he's doing that. I just thought there was uh, some sort of a restriction about. $6,000 a year he was able to put into a Roth. No, there are restrictions on deductible IRAs. And then if his income exceeds, I don't know, it's 115 grand or something like now when you're single, then it starts phasing out. But he's right now and still in the window where he can contribute to both. And it, what he probably went through his mind was, uh, I have less options in my company 401k. So I'm going to do the Roth there to just to the point where I get the full match. I'm going to make my other contributions into a vehicle that I have more control over the future, which also gives him more flexibility. Exactly. If he wants to buy a house at some point in time and take the money out to use for a um, house, IRAs are much more f flexible on that than a 401k. And then the, the money from the Roth comes out, the deposits come out without uh, taxes or penalties on it after okay. five does years. He, I think it's great. He, okay, so he doesn't have to wait on his IRA Roth till he's 59 and a half. For your, he can pull out the contrib his contributions prior to fifty nine and a half. Any uh, earnings uh, would be subject to a, a ten percent penalty and um, and taxes. So I have a question for you, Terry. I assume that he has a college education. He does. And what did he study? He, he's got a, uh, a, a finance degree, and then he's got an MBA. He's a smart. Listen, he knows exactly what he's doing. Okay. Well, he, he contended, yes, he was allowable to do that. And I, I had just, for some reason, had it in my mind that was a... Well, there's all kinds... There are, there are all kinds of crazy rules. So if he, he, he wouldn't... If he wanted to contribute to a deductible IRA, he would be precluded from doing so because his employer offers a, a retirement plan and he, his income is higher, whatever the number... It's a low number... Uh, his income is, is is to the point where he couldn't take the deduction for an IRA, a deductible IRA. So he's doing it actually, and his income's low enough so that he's not at the point where he's uh, no longer um, uh, allowed to contribute to a, a Roth. So he's not only doing it good; he's doing it perfect. Okay. Well, he was trying to get a total of about fifteen percent in a year, and so I'll let him know that he was right. Yeah. <laughs> What's your other question for us? Uh, second question, um, regarding the sale of rental property, I have a piece of property that um, I've had about three years, and I realize when I sell it, I have to pay the capital gains on the property, and also where I have to you know, somehow recapture, claim back as regular income, the depreciation amount that I've claimed over the years, which is about $10,000 a year, about 3 3 or 4% of the home's original amount. And potentially, you know, this could be over a number of years, a lot of income. Um, I'm 66 years old now, and I'm trying to get a, get a thought on, would you recommend selling that before I have to start taking my RMDs in six years as a tax-saving strategy or just kind of hang on to the house? Is, there, um, is, is, let, is it a good rental for you? It's it's a it's a positive cash flow, not a great positive, but three or four hundred dollars a month. I've got about uh, uh, it's worth about five hundred. I paid three fifty for it, and my loan's about two seventy currently. Would you buy it again today? At five hundred? Um, I don't. I probably not. And what would you do with the proceeds if you had them? Well, I would probably, um, if I if I could get the the difference out the five hundred from the the two fifty, say I owe one or the two seventy, I would, I assume I would pay, uh, or I guess that's the difference between the cap the purchase price. I guess I'd pay the capital gains on mm -hmm. it as well as the the amortization I've written off, which has been about ten thousand a year, for so that'd be about thirty thousand, and then I would take the rest of that money. And just invested into equities as into my brokerage account. Well, the, it, so there's a lot of moving parts here, and I mean, truly, you would really benefit from doing some financial planning where 
all these things are laid out, required minimum distributions. How's that going to impact you? Um, I wouldn't let the RMDs drive the decision making, though. The the, the, the the way this is structured, I mean, if we go through an inflationary period of time, the rent by by its nature will go up, which could uh, Mm -hmm. be a benefit to you. But when you've got this large a mortgage on it, a lot of your rent's going to pay the mortgage, so you're not getting the benefit of having kind of that passive income at a time in your life where passive income may or may not be more important to you. As a general rule, I don't like making investment decisions just because of taxes. Um, like the investment decision, the investment needs to stand on its own. Taxes are a secondary thing. Yeah. So I didn't. You you somehow drew this required minimum distributions into that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done that. I would have just made the decision based on whether I would. Want to own the property? Unless you knew at age seventy-three or something, you were going to sell and move out, but it's still a long time for long now. ways away. Yeah. So hey, Terry, appreciate the call. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, stick around for more All Worth's Money Matters, and to join us, eight three three ninety nine Worth. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McClain. Talking about uh, financial matters and when people get to the point where they've got some financial security in their life and they get comfortable. I don't know what that means. We're all, most of us are pretty comfortable in this nation compared to a lot of the world. Yes, I always worry uh, um, about money. I just, I do too. It's just <laughs> this underlying, ironic. which is, you know, so the you know we have lots of advisors, and some of the advisors say I worry about my clients a lot, and I say, well, like, can are you help? Oh yeah, yeah, we're helping give them good advice, but I still worry about them, and I'm like, you'll never get away from that. You'll never, that's what makes you a good advisor is that you actually, you have compassion for the clients that you, you've got an underlying current of worriness, especially about some particular clients, not all your clients, but some particular clients. Yeah. I was, uh, uh, traveling this last week, visiting a couple of offices and talking to the advisor and they, she was, she shared with me that the worst part about her job is relaying the bad news to people. They can't retire. They can't afford to retire. They can't afford the vacation home. They can't afford this. They got to cut back on their monthly income. But she says to me, I, I believe it's my responsibility to be honest and straightforward with them and not just try to sugarcoat things. Yes. So absolutely. I mean, can you imagine if you had a doctor? Like, oh, crap, this guy's got cancer. I don't want to mention that. So he's such a nice guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I had a situation years ago, and then we'll get to your calls if you want to join the show, 833-99-WORTH. I had a situation years ago. I remember this. There's there's still clients, been clients for 25-plus years. He said um, he wanted to buy this big, huge motorhome, massive. And I said, you know, you really can't afford this. I said, your portfolio isn't designed to generate the you know, 15 to 20% if you take all this money out that you're going to need to live on. And he said to me, well, Pat, we have faith in you that you'll be able to make that happen. <laughs> I've heard the same sort of thing before. And oh, I, Sky, I trust that you can do Like, no. I no mean, yeah, and I said, well, I just told you. <laughs> Did they get the motorhome? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, but they, not immediately, a couple years later, they changed their lifestyle some. They they ended up changing their lifestyle some because they ended up selling the motorhome a few years later because over the long term it wasn't going to work. Anything will work for a year or two, right? You can cover over, you know. Even bad marriages sometimes last a couple years. <laughs> I don't know if that's Terrible. the best. No, that's not a good analogy. Best analogy. <laughs> well, considering you're still on your first, let's uh, remind. I got a buddy of mine mine's on his fourth marriage, and he we were we were we were together, and he was. My, I had another friend that was, he's got an, an issue within his marriage and he started talking to him about, you should do this and that. And he says, he turns to my buddy, he's like, excuse me, but I'm not going to take marriage advice from a guy that's on 
on his fourth marriage. <laughs> and I did say, well, he's got a lot of practice now. Oh, I know. I mean, he's cumulative. He may be married longer than anyone. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if that's necessarily the objective for most. No, I don't think so. Anyway, let's uh, get to financial matters, things we know a little bit more about than, um, than marriage counseling. I know nothing. I'm not going to try to be someone's marriage counselor. All right, let's talk to uh, John in Northern California. John, you're with uh, All Worth's Money Matters. Yes, good afternoon, Pat and Scott. Uh, good afternoon, and thank you for taking my call. Thank you. So my inquiry to you is if I should believe the results of two online financial calculators that I used from Schwab and Fidelity, which gave me results on whether to proceed or not with the Roth conversion. Okay. okay? So now, with these financial calculators, did you enter every asset that you have, every income you've got, etc.? Correct. I answered all of their questions. Okay. So to ask in regards to non-Roth IRAs, non-deductible contributions, filing status, tax rates, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so very briefly, I'm 62 years old. My wife is 66. We're both retired, and we do not expect to need funds from RMDs as we reach 72. And both calculators provide the same directional results that we should not convert to Roth. And that's why I'm calling to validate that with you. Oh, and so what is the IRA balance? Okay. So because we're different ages, then the RMDs are due at different times for us. So for simplicity, I'll just use my portfolio okay. since it's double my wife's uh, and the results were the same anyway. Okay? Okay. So you asked in terms of the uh, balances for myself, my Roth IRA was 100K. The traditional IRA was about 65K. And the 401 was about $1.9 million. Okay. That's just yours, not counting your wife's? That's just myself. Okay. And what's your other, uh, so do you have any pension income? Uh, I do. And if we're talking about assets first in terms of mutual funds, stocks, checking accounts, things like that, that's another about $2.1 million. Okay. Well, that's not super relevant in a, in a Roth decision. but Except he's got the cash to pay the taxes, taxes if he does a, yeah. Right. Yeah. For taxes. Yeah. And you asked if uh, I have a pension. I do have a pension as well as my wife. And, and what's the annual income between those two, Ballpark? Um, annual income, well, we have not only just a pension, but we have rental income coming in. And then because I have a young son, I receive the young father's Social Security benefit. Mm -hmm. So with all of the monthly income coming in between my wife and I, it's about 21 k a month. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, <clears throat> I mean, what it's kind of come down to for you is if the tax rates at at your income level are higher in the future or not. You're in in California, right? Do you plan on staying Correct. in the state? I do. And I if did I were in your so you could take that formula. You if you change change around some assumptions, you can get the any answer you wanted to tell you. Yes, and that's that's what I did because <laughs> I ran it with my current tax rate. Then I ran it with a tax rate that was higher since I don't expect my income to decline mm -hmm. as I get older. And as the tax rate increases, the benefit not to convert improves also. Yeah, I mean, I, I, if I look at this, I think let's assume 10 years from now, let's assume the count roughly doubles. So we've now got we're close to $4 million. You've got to take about 4% a year out. 160 grand plus your wife. Now we've got a couple hundred grand on top of your income now. It, so we, the the right we won't know the right answer until we know what the future tax structure is going to be. Because mm -hmm. it could be that at some point in time, uh, income taxes get lowered and we also have a, a value added tax. What would you do, tax. Scott? I would convert some. You would. I can. I converted some. Um, I converted an uh, IRA to a Roth a few years back. I did too, mostly just so that I could actually make non-deductible IRA contributions, um, and then convert to Roth. And now, in the state of California, I increased the, uh, the tax rate. The voters voted something in. I said, "Forget that. I'm going to pay the state as little as possible." But in case you move out of state, would you? You would. Uh, you'd. You'd convert some. So you would suggest I would convert well, that's, some? That's though. Scott's opinion. It, it's, it all comes down to what tax rates are going to do. In that's the right. That's right. Yeah. I, I would be on the side of thinking there's a better chance that there's going to be – you run a risk in the Roth, too. There's no guarantee that you're, that at your income and asset level that it's going to be tax-free. Mm -hmm. 
I'm glad you took Social Security early. Well, I didn't start my Social Security, but it's the young father benefit portion of it. So when my child becomes of an age that um, he's no longer uh, yep. a beneficiary of that, then, of course, I can still draw my Social Security and at I, a later but time. But I would, I would start your Social Security now. Right, because I've heard your other shows before, yeah. and, I, and I understand your philosophy on that. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you think tax rates are going to go up, Social Security benefits are going to go down mm-hmm. for people like you. You're a fat cat. So, so I think what I'm hearing from you then is there's no right answer here, John. It's I would I know I would not, and Scott would not. I, I mean, as I'm thinking about, it, I wouldn't want to do that much. I look at if you look the way the tax rates are, they're very progressive, right? So there's some incomes taxed at 12 percent, then it goes to 22 percent. Then it, at income levels, it keeps ratcheting up to where it's at 36%. And what the uh, current administration's proposed, it's going to go back to 39.6%. Plus, there's the, the 3.8% Obamacare tax on top of investment income uh, that gets thrown on top of there. Uh, and if, if the rates go to where they, they, they're proposing to go, the income levels for those graduated rates are going to decline as well. So uh, well, if I was going to do it, I would I'd do the- it this year. Yeah, you, you, and that's the thing. You can make a decision every year. I would right? not make a decision forever. So I, I would go with your argument, Scott, that I would do it this year. I would actually play with my tax return with the assumption that tax rates are going to go up in the future. And then I would convert this year and make a decision again for next year. So, so if I can just ask him, because if the assumption you just conveyed to me is if the tax rate is going to go up, uh, if the belief is that the tax rate is going to go up, thereby it draws the decision to convert. That's right. But when I, when I run it through their calculator – as I increase the tax rate, the benefit not to convert is greater. Oh, no, no. We're increasing the future tax rate, not the tax right. rate today. And that's what I'm doing. I'm saying in the future, if it increases by 2% or whatever it is, the calculator tells me that the benefit not to convert is That makes no sense. That makes no sense. Let's assume the tax is 100% in the future. Yeah, because it says effective estimated federal tax rate at withdrawal. Yeah, I understand, but... That, that, that makes no sense because all a Roth conversion is is a prepayment of a, a, a future tax rate. At a current tax rate. At current tax rate. So that's here's, what it is. For, for married couples, for your, uh, your taxable income, this is after itemized deductions, taxable income, the 24% bracket is for incomes of 172 to 329. It, then it right. bumps from 24% to 32%. So you've got 8%. room there. percent so if I were in your situation, I would look at and, and right, you're gonna be in the ten point something in California at like ninety grand you're there. So you're or hundred grand or something. You're already nearing the top for California. I, I would certainly look at if I were in your situation, I would look at converting at least between the that bracket. Yeah, like twenty four percent. Fifty or sixty thousand dollars. Look, if you were seventy two today, mm-hmm. now your income's over four hundred grand, assuming that these accounts continue to grow. Yeah, and I don't understand what you said, the calculator. That makes no sense because you said that the higher the tax rate, the less benefit it is. But Scott's exactly it. What happens if the tax rate's 100% in retirement? Obviously, you're better off converting. Obviously, you're better off converting. <laughs> so the higher the, the higher that future tax rate is, the, the more advantageous The more today. advantageous it is. So I would actually go back. If I thought tax rates were going to go up next year, oh, and by the way, I think they are. Oh, and by the way, my own well, financial situation. Well, we do know situation. the current tax rates are set to expire in, what, 25 or 26? Yeah. Well, they will expire unless no, there's new legislation. Understand. Yeah. So you should most certainly convert this year. And make a decision. How much? Probably at least fifty thousand. Then you decide. And you either how much more either is. sit down with a good financial advisor, a good tax pro- professional, or use your if you do your tax yourself, use that tax form, and and do some what if assumptions and look at the exa- where those brackets where it jumps from twenty four percent to thirty two percent. And then okay. I would, I if I were you, I'd start Social Security. That's an opinion, obviously, yeah. which is what you called for. Right. Yeah, and then you'll do what you want to do, which is yeah. your life and your money. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. And I can do so. I, I can play in Turbo Tax a little bit and let's see where it brings me then. That's right. 100%. You can actually see when you push into the next highest marginal tax rate and then one after that. Yeah, and take a look at the, the taxable income number and then where the tax rates are. It, it, it's not a, exactly a dollar for dollar increase because there's some other, you start losing some of your 
You still lose your itemized deductions? Uh, yes. Yeah. Not to like you used to. It's not as bad as it used to be. But anyway. All right. Appreciate the call. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Thank well, you. Wish you well, John. I, I'm not actually. I'm not confident about it anymore. I mean, the reality is <clears throat> the tax code is very complicated. The the best way to to, to do, do it is is your act your actual financial life and run some some scenarios. And you do what ifs. Yeah. What if I did this? What if I did that? I've done that a number of times. That almost like your financial planning uh, software that we use and the tech software. That well, we I think use. that's one of the challenges with these kind of these standalone. Does it make sense? I've not, I actually don't like, like those calculators because it it doesn't take into account lots of other things that might be going on in your life. Um, so the, I mean, the best way to do it, there's some great financial planning calculators out there. Where you, they're not calculators; they're software programs where every all of your financial life is in there. Um, and you can play what if scenarios. Yeah, it's what we do, do with it. our clients. It's interactive. One hundred percent. You do what ifs. I mean, you got to do that any sort of plan. Like, what kind of return are you going to have in the future? Well, nobody knows. So, what happens if I have? What happens if I retire and there's a bear market the next week? Yeah. What then? What happens? So you can do all these different what? I mean, really, the goal is to have the highest probability, um, the highest degree of confidence. And so, this last caller, he's going to be fine <clears throat> either way. Correct. He's just trying to maximize. Yeah, I mean... It, By lowering his tax liability in the long term. Yeah. He, he recognizes that he's probably not going to spend this all in his lifetime. By the way, the other thing that comes into account here is your health and the marginal tax rate that the people that are going to inherit the money are, is. And, and it's a huge factor in that. Right. And who knows what changes they're going to be in required minimum distribution? Because I've already heard people say, if the account's above a certain amount, you have to start taking out early, which would make it even more complicated for people. But anyway, let's continue on with calls here uh, to join Allworth's Money Matters, 833-99-WORTH. We're in Denver, Colorado with Keith. Keith, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Hey, we're good. What can we do for you? Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I've got a question um, surrounding, and I'm trying to make some decisions on how to pick a financial advisor. And I realize I'm calling a financial advisor, but um, my, my scenario is I'm 61 and a half, um, starting to think about retirement, so I'm probably in that five-year window. Um, and I've got not a lot of money, but I've got money all over the place from previous employers and uh, rollovers and uh, what I, my my main goal is really to consolidate it into one um, one book somewhere, and I'm trying to figure out um, what I should consider um, in making that decision. What are the main differences between uh, a firm like yours? Um, I don't know if I can mention other firms by sure. name. Sure. Okay. Mo most of my money is with Fidelity right now in mm -hmm. a portfolio advisory services. Um, which is an IRA uh, where I merged a bunch of previous 401ks into it. That's got about 460000 Um And then I've got money with Vanguard, and I'm talking to them about putting money into them because that's my current 401k, Roth. Um, I, I'm contemplating your firm for sure, I'm contemplating Fisher Investments, and I'm just trying to figure out the differences as I talk to all these people. So, they all um, they all sell their own service. Right? Okay, that's right. So, we'll, yeah. We'll, we, yeah, yeah, everyone's the best, right? Yeah. And what yeah, you're looking course. for is the best fit, not necessarily for me, for yeah. you, yeah. correct, yeah, correct. So, what you described is you, you describe four different firms with um, two of them have very, very similar uh, models, which is Fidelity and Vanguard, which is they are mm -hmm. asset managers, right? So you give them the right. money and they manage the al al asset. Although both those large firms have a variety of ser other services that they'll sometimes try to sell. Like they all have uh, teams of, um, of financial advisors that you can work with. It's typically via the phone and um, kind of in a... Uh, call center type thing or something. And, and you might have a good advisor at, at those. I'm not here to knock those. The, one, one of the challenges with firms um, that they oftentimes th there's a compensation for steering a client to one sort of product or service over the other. I think probably less so mm -hmm. at Vanguard. And I, so I'm not here to. But well, they're going to they're going to recommend Vanguard product at Vanguard. 
Well, 100%. Yes, of right? course they will. And fidelity, and, they're And the funny be... thing about our business, we're all frenemies. So uh, mm-hmm. we, exactly. we use fidelity to custody a lot of our client assets. We have billions of dollars custody at Fidelity. We have billions of dollars with, I don't know actually what the number with Vanguard. We use Vanguard quite a bit. In fact, in in one of our offices, you have to walk by an Allworth office to get to a Charles Schwab office or a Fidelity office, <laughs> right? But, uh, but we're all kind of frenemies because uh, we compete right. We compete in the morning and, and are partners in the afternoon. Um, but I think the difference, what I think the question you should be asking yourself is is, do you, do you want the ongoing guidance and support of a financial planner or are you confident doing that and you just want money management? And if it's just money management, then is it, do you want any sort of ongoing advice with that or you want to pick things yourself? Right. For, for my particular situation, I'm definitely looking for advice. Um, I, I'm not hearing a lot of tax strategies through um, either of those firms. That's right. And, um, just as your previous caller, obviously, yeah. um, you know, that's something that you. And so, I mean, <clears throat> then there's the independent firms like what's called a registered investment advisory firm, which is what Allworth is. And there's a lot of other great firms out there. As a matter of fact, the industry has been going through a shift the last 20 or so years to more independent. There's, uh, there are more advisors now that are with independent firms than with the big old captive Wall Street firms. Um, so we're seeing a, a, a movement. And with a, with a registered investment advisory firm, there's a fiduciary obligation, a legal obligation to put a client's interest ahead of um, the business's interest or the advisor's interest. Um, and then, mm-hmm. so like uh, firms like ours, our advisors, we, we do financial planning. So our advisors are certified financial planners for the most part or chartered financial consultants or a couple other designations similar. But we're very much financial planning focused. We believe most of the value that we're going to bring is through the planning, through the tax uh, planning. Just like the previous call on should we convert to the Roth. It's helping people think through all those scenarios. And then it's the ongoing guidance when life happens, when the markets fall apart. I mean, I could tell you, like last uh, April in the early days of the pandemic, we took had a period of time where we said no new clients. Let's focus 100% on our existing clients. And we had podcasts. We had videos. We had webinars. We had like almost <laughs> like every other day we were just ongoing with our clients and different well, emails. And but Scott, so, the, so that's the, that ongoing guidance and support so, you'll get from a financial planner. So, the, yes. So from a financial planner. So if it was you, what you want to shop for is financial planner that does asset management mm-hmm. as well. And, and maybe if they have tax internally. And help. if they have tax internally, that's that's even more helpful, or they at least can have you interact with a tax strategist or themselves interact with a tax strategist on your behalf. So what you named is basically three asset management firms that primarily manage assets and do a little bit of financial planning on the side. That's right. That's probably a good way to put it. Right. What you want is a financial planning firm that not only does financial planning, which is full service financial planning, then we recommend a will or a trust or do you tax strategies. Look at the estate planning. And the estate planning, the whole bit wrapped into one. Um, and there are many of those, especially you're in the Denver area. There are many of those. You probably want to look for a firm that has at least five, six, ten advisors so that they're of decent size. And then you want to go and interact with them and see if you actually like them and that they're going to actually tell you what you need to hear versus what you want to hear. Depending upon the size of the asset, sometimes they'll do the financial plan without charge. Sometimes they'll charge you a few hundred or a thousand dollars or a couple thousand dollars. And they will then say, here's what my But I would also is. ask how much insurance do you guys do? And if they sell insurance, I personally would say walk away from that because they're, when with insurance sales, there's typically a, a commission involved, creates a conflict. I think the, the, your your best bet is to work with someone that it, that avoids conflicts at, whenever possible. You want to stay from any mm-hmm. away from anyone that leads with product, right? When they when you walk through the right. door and they say, "Let me tell you about this." What, what the first, you, you really ought to be investing in emerging markets right now, or you really ought to be in, like, that's, that's yeah. not what you want. You want, you want someone that's going to act on your behalf as a fiduciary. So if you actually just Google or Bing a fiduciary investment advisors, Denver, um, you, and then go to the websites to get a view of them. I'd pick three, I'd pick three or four. I'd have conversations on the phone. Oftentimes they'll schedule a free consultation by phone 
or I'd go and visit with them and just say, here's what I'm trying to achieve. And you've got to click with that person because you're going to be with them a of long course. time. You're going to be with them a long, long time. I mean, that's time. what you'd want, I would think, right? That's what you're looking for, a good... Yep, that's exactly yeah. what I'm looking for yeah. is, a, is a long-term relationship that's going to steer me steer me into retirement and then beyond. Yep, yep, exactly. And then, so through, that's and then yeah, the, the reality is nine out of ten times a man goes before the, the uh, uh, wife. and Yeah, if you're married, you both certainly want your spouse involved in this. Of course. All right, yeah. and by the way, um, don't choose a 70-year-old advisor, I'm just what? telling you. <laughs> That sounds like age discrimination. What do you mean? Unless they have... It probably is. Of course it is. Okay. You mean unless they've got some other uh, backup... In, in yes. the firm. It, right. Well, when I was a young man, so I started, I was like 25 as no, an advisor. I, and people say, God, you're awfully young. I say, no, that's a benefit to you because you'll be there. <laughs> I will still be there working the when you're all the way through. But it's been and true. now that I've been, I'm a little older now, so it's my experience that I talk I know, about. but Scott, but it's true. <laughs> Well, of course, you. I mean, you want you don't want to have to be switching advisors looking for an advisor when, when you're, you're eighty. No, that is the no. You, that's the last thing you want yeah. to be doing. So you want some depth in the firm, which was your point of getting. Agree. So yeah. it wasn't necessarily. No, it wasn't thing. seventy. You don't. Yeah, you want depth in the firm. Yeah, right. there, there are actually more practicing financial certified financial planners over age seventy today than under age thirty. There's a lot of good ones, but if you're working with someone at that age, you need to make sure that they've got a younger person on the team as well. That's right. That also sure. knows your that situation. So the optimal age of your advisor should be 36. <laughs> Just made that up. <laughs> All right. Appreciate the call. Yeah. How, Take how care. Fees? Is, right. is there a range of fees? Yeah. Most of them will be somewhere around the you know 1% range is the pretty much the going rate for assets less than them. And both Vanguard as well as Morningstar has uh, some studies that talk about the value of advisor. And um, just Google Vanguard's uh, financial advice. I think it's Alpha. What do they call it? It's the Alpha study, which is the advice that's given. The, the, the upside of the portfolio of the overall financial situation. But I, I think it might be helpful advice. because it, it, it helps kind of walk through. And Vanguard, I think maybe a majority of their assets come from advisors. So... They have they work a lot with advisors, but uh, it, it'll it'll lead lead you to those areas that show the value that an advisor can bring. So when you're thinking about it, it, it uh, that might be helpful. Anyway, we're out of time. It's been great having you with us as we've been talking about financial matters, and hopefully you learned something today and had some fun with us. And we'll see you next week. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.